BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, and on this episode, he claimed he was God's spokesman on Earth. Now, the women forced into polygamous marriages as child brides are speaking out against the fundamentalist Mormon church. We'll discuss Netflix's Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Yeah, I'm not down for a lot of that, but obey sounds kind of cool. Oh, stop it. And by the way, you're never going to get that. You're never. Yeah, I was really holding my breath. Never going to get that yeah, one. Okay. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. This may be the most raged up I have been about something we have watched in quite some time. Wow. That's, that's good to hear. I cannot wait. Also, our captain of all things cynical is with us, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hi there, Rebecca. So, Kevin, before we start this uh, podcast episode discussion, mm -hmm. what are we talking about on Thursday's drop? On Thursday, we're going to be talking about the podcast One Click, narrated by Elle Fanning. All right. So, Kevin, can I ask you a quick question before we uh, begin our discussion? You may. Why are you dressed like a preppy from 1984 right well, now? Well, people can't see this, but I will... Okay, I had on a sweatshirt... And I came into the studio, and it was a little warm, so I took the sweatshirt off. Instead of throwing it on the floor, I put it over my shoulders and knotted it in front of me like the teenage villain in an 80s movie. Yes. And so now you, my name is Blaine. <laughs> and That's a major appliance, not a name. Blaine was in Exeter again, but I had COVID when he was in town, and I am very You're distraught. You're talking about I, the Andrew actor McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy. McCarthy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Andrew yeah. McCarthy, yes. Um, he's made a few appearances in my little quaint day of town, and um, I have three years still to meet him. So, Well, thanks for stealing my thunder, Laura. Can I ask you a question about, about Andrew McCarthy, a.k.a. Blaine? Mm -hmm. So is he, the fact that he's a uh, Phillips Exeter Academy parent, mm -hmm. is that why 
His book is on display at the Water Street bookstore, like your wonderful local bookseller. I noticed like on the main table at the bookstore, there's a lot of like wonderful books. And then randomly the Andrew McCarthy like memoir. Rat pack. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) yes, actually. And I will tell you a funny story about that. So they had like one copy of that in and then last fall, (laughs) you know, it's out and Andrew McCarthy drops his daughter off at high school in Exeter. He's wandering around town. He posts this nice picture on Instagram that says like, it's so great when your book is in an independent bookstore, like Water Street Bookstore. (laughs) And they're like, oh shit, like we almost sent that book back because nobody was buying it. We better keep this one copy in stock. Thank God it was here when he came in. How embarrassing would that have been? So I think they're pretty much keeping that book in perpetuity yeah. for the next four years, unless somebody randomly goes in and They have one it. in the back that they just pull out on like PEA weekends, right? Where like when it's like parents weekend or graduation weekend, mm-hmm. they just pull it out and stick yeah. it on the table. They're like, code pink, code pink. <laughs> Get the book up front. Code preppy, code preppy. Code preppy. <laughs> and, and the funniest part is that the same bookseller has worked both times he's come in there. And both times she has not recognized him yeah. until she sees something. And she goes, you know what? If you're famous and you want to come buy a book in Exeter, come when I'm working. Yeah. Because I have no idea who you are. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. I will say uh, before we start the show, Kevin, you're a bookseller in Exeter, New Hampshire. I think it's my favorite bookseller in the state of New Hampshire. I, I also love Gibson's and Concord, but Water Street Books in Exeter, New Hampshire. If you want to order a book and you feel like ordering it from an indie, great place mm-hmm. to order your books. Water Street Bookstore in Exeter, New Hampshire. All right. So, Kevin, I really think because Laura is so full of rage that we should get into the review. (laughs) So I'm just going to go ahead and drop that first clip right now. What do you think, Kevin? Do it. Let's do it. When I was 14 years old, they forced me to marry my cousin. I asked Warren, begged him, please don't make me get married. And he said, do you believe that you know better than the prophet? That if you're questioning me, you're questioning God. As the self-proclaimed prophet of the FLDS, a fundamentalist offshoot of the Mormon church, Warren Jeffs used the lore of eternal salvation to manipulate his followers. He arranged polygamous marriages and coerced families to offer their girls as child brides within the secretive sect, while Utah authorities did little to stop him. I got a phone call after we filed our case from a local FBI agent who I'd known and I was friends with. And he said, we think if you'll let us track him, we can get him on the top 10 most wanted list. I'm like, whoa, okay, great. Only after he built a temple in Texas and forced families to send their children there, did the world get a clearer picture of Jeff's unchecked predatory domain. When the FBI finally pursued him for sex crimes, Jeffs went on the run, supported by money from the church he still controlled. We knew he was on the run, and what we were told was he was accused of things that weren't true. It was all just made up lies, and that's why they put him on the 10 most wanted list, and they were out to get him and all of this stuff. The Netflix series Keep Sweet. Pray and Obey paints a disturbing picture of the modern subjugation of women and the effects of tyrannical control dressed up as religious obedience. It presents many women who fled their underage marriages and the outsiders who worked to expose the FLDS's illegal actions. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. An additional note, 
I host a Netflix podcast, You Can't Make This Up, on which I interviewed the director of Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey. And that podcast and my interview will not affect my review of Keep Sweet. So, Toby, one thing that this documentary does is it very, very much focuses on the experiences of the women who used to be part of the FLDS in the sort of peak period of Warren Jeffs. How do you think the documentary approaches that aspect of this story? Well, you know, they have a number of women who ended up being married off to older men at various ages who talk about their stories and what it was like being there. I think particularly the second episode, which I thought was was excellent, which largely follows three of these women, two of whom are sisters and another young woman in their stories, which are all, you know, they're wrenching. And, uh, you know, I don't know if we want to get into this now, but two of them have this betrayal of them by people who they thought were going to save them from being married off. And in both cases, one, it's a, it's a boyfriend who decides that he's not willing to like give up his goal of being a FLDS priest in order to save this girl who he likes. And then the other one is the mother who at the, like f- during the vows being exchanged, basically through no- nonverbal means, lets this 14 year old daughter is about to marry this guy who's in his what, 60s or 70s, mm-hmm. that like the daughter's not the only person who's going to be hurt if she doesn't go through with this marriage, that mm-hmm. it, there's going to be sanctions to the mother too. And my mother just squeezed my hand and I could feel all of the desperation in her being communicated through that. And that was that last moment when I realized that it wasn't just about me. Not only was my salvation hanging in the balance, my mother's was as well. So in both those cases, you know, sort of the person they were depending on to, to save them from this thing that they absolutely did not want to have happen, both kind of chose the church and that community over them. It, it's just, I thought it was a very, very powerful episode. I thought it was too, because it also demonstrated that you could be in this situation, but you're also a human being who has the same feelings of rebellion and the same natural emotions that any young woman would have. And I I think that we tend to think of people in this situation as being othered. You know what I mean? Especially when you see the visuals of these young women dressed in pastel dresses, looking like Laura Ingalls Wilder, and to know that in the moment they were just like, no, I don't want this. I don't know. I, I also found that incredibly moving. So, Kevin, one of the things that I found really interesting that I didn't know a lot about was the Rulin Jeff's legacy. Right. Can you just talk a little bit about what we learned there and Warren Jeff's ascension under Rulin Jeff's? Yeah, uh, Rulin Jeff's was the prophet, which is another word for, you know, the president of that church. Uh, some equate it with being like the pope. And under Rulin Jeff's, that it, it seems to be pretty much. I hate saying this, the fundamentalist playbook, right? It's just going step by step, which means that, okay, some people are going to get multiple wives and everybody's got to wear this and whatever. And towards the end of his life, Warren Jeffs, the son, you know, kind of positions himself to be the next prophet, even though he's got like 30 brothers or or, or whatever. But I keep thinking about if, if, I guess, Roland Jeffs, 
you know, assume that he was entitled to more than just three wives, which is what a lot of guys got, that he could have many, many more. You know, it might not have been great, you know, when he was in his 30s or 40s to have a bunch of other, you know, to be one of a bunch of other wives. I can't imagine, like, when he's 80 and he's got, you know, a green oxygen tank and, you know, he pees himself and you're 14, 15 years old and you're getting married to him. Like, like how is Gross. that? How, yeah. 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 I mean, there isn't like any scenario where that's good. But Warren but... is the one who encouraged him to do it. Yes, because it's then so Warren gross. marries a bunch of his mothers. Warren married all but two. I mean, two. Not, yeah. He I married mean, all, quote unquote mothers. He but. married all but two of these 64 women within a week after his Ugh. father's death. There's a lot of weird sex stuff, but Ugh. that's a weird kink. Well, I want it's my not dad's... a kink. It's not a kink. It's a control thing. I don't know. There's a lot of stepmom porn on Pornhub, so I don't. maybe this is where it comes from. The yeah. fundamentalist Mormons. You know it's not about Toby's, sex. Though. Toby's agreeing with me. But you know, knows. but you know it's not about sex. It's about oh, no, no. control. It's about power. Well, You're making a gross joke, but no, we what's just about make it control make clear. and power? Yes, and sexual domination. I think it's about. Yeah. I think there is a sex component in oh, there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's about the well, Laura. I a mean, lecherous one. Yeah. One thing that we can talk about as yes. women is the aesthetic that yes. Warren Jeffs insisted that the women have. Right. This is one thing that I thought about, and I talked a little bit about this with the director of the documentary. We didn't get super into it, but his very, very specific manner of dress that he insisted that the women wear and the specific hair, very specific hair. What is going on with that So much hair? so that there was a video on how to do it. All I kept thinking was- Oh, there's a bunch of videos on YouTube yeah, about that. Who yeah. was the girl in like- 12-year-old choir practice who rejected him, whose hair that he's making all these women like replicate <laughs> over and over and over. You know what I mean? It's like so yeah. specific. and It's very specific and it's very unnatural. And as somebody who has like, like, you know, you have good hair. You're Becky with the good hair. I have good hair. But there's a thing as to having like naturally good hair and having hair that will stay in some wackadoodle like shape. And it's not going to stay in that wackadoodle shape. And it's it's not an easy thing to do. And it's not attractive. It's freaking weird. There was one scene where it really hit me, like the aesthetic of the women. And it showed a bunch of the wives in a line in the pastel Easter egg prairie dress ensembles. And it almost didn't even look real to me at that point because it looked so contrived. But that was another issue here is that like I look at it and I'm like, well, wait, was this a real image or was this one of the recreations? Because there were some times where it was hard to tell what was real and what was a recreation and what was old footage and what was something that they put together. But the Easter egg scene, I'm sure that did happen at some point, whether or not that was the real Easter egg scene or not um, to be determined. But that was just a bit much for me. Well, it's a very childlike aesthetic, right? Yes. So there is there's a so there's a company right now and I will admit that right before I went on my current like clothing spending diet, I did order a dress from them that is still yet to arrive. Uh that's a very very trendy clothing company called Hill House. Okay. And the woman is um basically she's she's created this aesthetic that's like very childlike like Alice in Wonderland, like she's made these dresses that you could both sleep in and wear out in the daytime. And it is based on this idea of like your inner little girl like wants to mm. wear this thing, right? They're very, mm -hmm. very cute. Oh boy. I wanted to buy one for my son's girlfriend because that's kind of her deal. Anyway, I was watching this and I'm like, 
But this is a man's version of that. It's yeah. one thing for a woman to decide, I want to buy this girly girl dress, something that like I haven't worn as a woman in a long time it would be really fun to own. It's another thing for a man to say, this is what I want all the women, whether you're 80 or 12 around me to look like. It is the biggest like expression of subjugation I have seen. And it's incredibly patriarchal in a way that is it's very, very, very difficult and disturbing to explain. And it is not the same as other religious expressions through dress. It isn't, especially when you understand the sexual component of this. Right? Especially when the guy just comes out and says, no more red. Nobody can wear red anymore. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at the the Hill House. Those are very cute and something I could never wear. (laughs) It's uh, that whole everybody looking the same. I mean, that's not an unusual thing in cults, though. I mean, Mm -hmm. you think about, you know, Hare Krishna's, you think about Heaven's Gate, and this is kind of happening within like a certain social norms within that group where you can't have them all shave their heads or dress in a way that's more masculine. It's got to be this like very sort of like, faux 1870s extremely modest and then with this crazy hairdo which is distinctive in terms of the world but it's not distinctive at all in terms of that community right and and all women basically look the same i mean it's a way of robbing them of individual identities that's right so i just have one more question about this because i feel some discomfort talking in some ways about like the aesthetic and the practices in that way about this, because there are so many religions that you could make the same basic statements about. I don't understand the dress. I don't understand Mm -hmm. the aesthetic. I don't understand the way the women present. I don't understand whatever. But this is a cult. I mean, let's be clear. We are talking about a cult. Do we all agree? I mean, I, I don't think there's any disputing this, right? No, I mean, I think that this definitely, like, we know Toby is the cult man of our (laughs) podcast, the cult expert. But under Toby's tutelage, we have analyzed and watched a lot of media. I mean, I was referencing the Bhagwan to somebody last night about cults. And this is like the grooming and brainwashing and isolation and all of the techniques that uh, you see in, like, the traditional cult where you're like tried and true, cult 101. We're going to cut them off from the outside world. We're going to threaten them with like, if you don't do this, Armageddon, Armageddon, you know? And then we're also going to like reward people that follow me and do my bidding with like the promise of eternal whatever life. And um, also you can have 60, 12-year-olds. What's disturbing, I think, about this to me more than the fact that this was like such a classic example of cult behavior is that despite everything that has happened and everything that has come out, there are still people following this guy. I mean, it's like when we saw the yoga dude that was so disgusting. What was his name? Bikram. And you think, oh, my God, how can anybody still be following Bikram? And then you see that they are like, oh, now we're in South America falling Bikram and now we're over in Europe falling Bikram. And you're like, do you people not read the news? Do you people not ever Google this guy? Do you know nothing that's going on with this guy? And I think this case, particularly where it involved so much abuse 
and just horrible behavior. I mean, abuse and manipulation and horrible situations with young, young girls that came out. And when you watch this, you know, you see a lot of people that were once part of it that were like, no, we were never part of this. We're like, don't touch me, you fucking creepy old man. And the fact that it's still going on, I think that is like a testament to the power of that sort of like, and I, Toby can probably talk about this better, but like that power of like the brainwashing of that cult sort of atmosphere that, that it's still able to continue despite everything that's happened. It's not even, you know, I think some of the major religions in our country have had horrendous sex scandals, Mm -hmm. right? And it's not just cults. It's not just this particular group. I mean, this has happened again and again in religions with huge followings and with small followings or whatever. And for the most part, it doesn't spell the end of them. For whatever there is within the followers, that's stronger than an instance of scandal. You know, it's in the headlines today. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. All right, Kevin, I think it's time for you to do some business. What is going on in the business section? Well, right now on Patreon, you can listen to the Crime Writers on After Show. On this episode, we're going to play a little uh, game show action. What is the game? So we're going to ask all the Crime Writers. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the title of one of the things we have watched or listened to over the past eight. Eight, six? We've been doing this podcast for more than eight shows or so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give you the title of something that we have reviewed. And you, I'm going to pick one of you, you're going to have to tell me what that show actually was. What happened in the show. And then I'm going to ask you whether you were thumbs up or thumbs down (laughs) or thumbs sideways. I love it. I'm going to be the worst. I love everything about this game show. I love everything. Are there sound effects and everything? Absolutely, there's sound effects. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to hear this. I play this game show. I cannot wait. Also on Patreon, you can listen to the latest episode of Married with Podcasts. Ooh, what's that going to be about? Well, we have a bunch of questions, including one from Katie. She wants to know if she should go to a family wedding across the country. Nope. <laughs> I haven't even heard the question yet because we haven't taped it yet, but I can tell you if you're asking the question whether you should, it's probably no. <laughs> no, 100% go. It'll be fun. Nope. <laughs> Depends where it is. Nope. So we're always talking about <laughs> asking folks to join the uh, Crime Writers on Facebook group. 
and we still think that you should do it. It's very easy to join. Also want to encourage you to join the Married with Podcast Facebook it's awesome. group. It's called Married with Podcast. Let's, let's discuss. Yes, yes. Even if you're not on Patreon, we'll let you join in. it. We'll let you in. You can ask questions for the podcast, or you can just look at the questions that people are asking and, and you throw your own advice. Yeah. yeah. They always get a ton of responses long before we tell them the wrong thing. Yes, it's real. That, that group is, I got to say, it's fun as hell. Yeah. All right, so Kevin, um, what do people do like in terms of if they want to like interact with you like in an email format? What do you mean, like send join an email? our newsletter? Like, oh, okay, yeah, it's a stupid way of setting that up. I mean, but I, that's how I set it up, so you should probably okay. answer. Uh, okay, so by the way, if you want to join our, <laughs> by th- go ahead, just finish the segue. Do it, do it. We're leaving this all in. Do it. I'm trying to. Leave space for a nice, clean nope, edit. No, we're not editing it. For Olivia Burdett, our handsome line editor. She'll be fine. Just go ahead College and say College graduate. It. Yes. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to get more crime writers on behind-the-scenes information, like see uh, a photograph of handsome line editor Olivia Burdett in her graduation uh, garb as she just graduated from Brown University. Ivy Congratulations, Libby. Yeah, we have an Ivy League editor. Can you believe I it? I know. Who knew? And she's like, I'm getting paid what to do this shit? <laughs> I go work at like some fancy place and instead I'm working for you assholes. I know, man. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, Kevin, does that end the business section? Thus ends. Thus ends. The business section. The business section. So, Kevin, we were talking about whether or not the FLDS is a cult. Thoughts? Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say before the break that it, I'm having a little hard time getting a handle on exactly how many people we're talking about here. Because when I think of cult, I do think of a small group. You I mean, even something like Wild Wild Country where they're on a big commune and there's lots and lots of people. It's not a whole city. Like, I think there are... Like thousands. Tens of thousands. In this, you know, you can't call it a splinter group when it's that large. They have like their own YouTube channel. And I think it's really weird the way they interact sort of with modern, you yeah. know, with modernity and with sort of this ancient stuff where, again, you, you have to dress like, you know, you're on Little House on the Prairie, but we have a YouTube channel. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like everybody can drive and go work at McDonald's, but you just, you know, you can't have the coffee or whatever. Well, the director of the documentary told us that people have a hard time getting at Jeff's peak. They knew there were tens and tens and tens of thousands, but they still think there are tens and tens of thousands of people in the FLDS. They're still not all concentrated in these these two places. And also he, by the way, is still the prophet and still the head of the FLDS from prison. Even though he's in he's in jail. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a it's a cult. It is. Yeah. It is. It's it's oppressive. And like, you know, I think it was Toby earlier on was talking about, you know, some of our, our heroes in this documentary, which include at least there were more than three, but there were three women who had been child brides or had other dreams of what their life is going to be like before they're uh, shuffled off in their early teens to be you know, part of a relationship. I was really taken by Ruby and Joe. Joe, I was like a phone. I went to my room. We started talking almost every night. We talked about everything. What we would do if we ever got married. What we would name our kids. We might not have even talked. We just sat and listened to each other breathe. There was just something so innocent and normal about these two teenagers. Like, passing her a note... 
with the I love you on it. And she, by the way, she thinks that the, you know, that ABBA is forbidden music. So she's listening to ABBA. You know, that's just very much, you know, reads like a regular 12, 13, 14 year old person. Right. But they can't go out on a date because all of a sudden, woof, you know, this is going to be your life. And then she reaches out to Joe and I can't tell if Joe's a good guy or just a nice guy. But it's funny, he's the other than Lloyd Wall, who is the old guy in his uh, recliner who couldn't, I guess, sit all the way up. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, as we, Joe's the only guy we see. Um, I wonder if he had one of those recliners that, you know, the ones that like pop you up when you're old stand and up. you, oh, you yeah. can't get out and it's yeah. like, Yeah. <laughs> well, we see the other Jeff guy, right? We see Warren Jeff's brother, who's like in a tractor. Oh, well. oh yes. You know, he had this holier-than-thou attitude. And even though he could be funny, he came across kind of abrasive. You know, we see anyone with last name Jeffs, we're like, ooh. But then you realize there are 700 of them. So yeah, it's pretty incredible. Me and my, like, 68 brothers and there are 32 some inc- sisters. There are some incredible characters in this. One of my favorites yeah. is the private investigator guy. I love that guy. Central casting dude, private investigator guy who's pretty incredible. With the John Wayne poster in the background. (laughs) Yes. So, Toby, one of our favorite people that we have come to hate through our many, many reviews of things who we've realized uh, that maybe we used to hold in high regard, but who has now unleashed a torrent of poison on our culture makes an appearance in this documentary, Oprah. After the 2008 raid at the ranch, um, more than 400 kids are taken away and the FLDS goes on this public relations campaign to get their kids back, basically, uh, by appealing to the public and just trying to show, like, we are a religion. We are regular people practicing our religion. They make a television circuit. You know, we want everyone to see we're just normal folk doing normal folk thing. And this is how we live. And, of course, Oprah becomes part of that uh, brand. Uh, Toby, this was a successful public relations campaign. Do you remember this? You know, I I don't really. I remember the whole Jeff's compound thing in Texas. But, you know, I didn't really watch daytime TV. I guess I still don't. But, yeah, I think it's just another one of those things where Oprah hears something and has a snap judgment about it. And instead of using all that money and power that she has to actually investigate to see what the actual deal is kind of gives them a platform. Then they're on Larry King at one point. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think what I thought was kind of interesting about that was how savvy they were in terms of how the nation in general would react to these things for a community that's largely sequestered. And it makes me kind of wonder about how, like, was Warren Jeffs really as cut off as all these other people were? Because, I mean, he played the media like a fiddle, man. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. that was from je- yep. from prison. He organized this thing, and it 100% worked. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of these fundamentalists, I mean, we heard about it, you know, I hate to, like, compare this to like al-Qaeda or something, but it's another sort of fundamentalist movement that is very, very savvy with their media, uses, Mm -hmm. you know- Why not compare Uses the new technology and stuff to advance aims that seem to come from like a couple hundred years ago, if not more. So anyway, I I thought that was a very, they, they don't really spend much time exploring, like how the hell did they figure this out? Like maybe they just hired a consultant, but- 
uh, it was kind of striking how effective it was being how sort of removed that they were supposedly from sort of mainstream culture. I need to invoke uh, Flynn's law about cultism, that the level of cultiness is directly proportional to the amount of video they take of themselves. Yes, it's true. Yes. It's true, because a lot of the video that I think as a viewer you might think is like not real is actually real. Yeah. Because they have a fucking lot of video of themselves from the compound. But Toby, I also think that Warren Jeffs was very, very savvy, in re- even though it was many years later, remembering the public backlash against the Waco thing, where in the aftermath of that, there was all of this horrible publicity about the, the government intrusion and this these poor religious people who were, which is what they also a cult. But yes, the you know, and he very, very much leveraged the optics of that government raid, taking these kids away to like do that same thing, except he was like, but we have what well, we can leverage this. Like he was no dummy. All I can think of was in today's political environment, how even more successful he could be. That's all I could think about. Like he, I think, could be even more successful now than he was then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think you just have to look at the Bundys, you know, the the standoff at Bundy Ranch. I mean, Fox News like took that Mm -hmm. on as like a mission for them was supporting yeah. that and showing government tyranny in that kind of situation. So I think they would have, they would have eaten it up. And you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff about this. Even goes back to uh, the thing we just listened to about those quote unquote rehab centers. Is that there's this idea about Mormons being, you know, pure and you know all these things that sort of say America, and you know these guys probably could make a claim to it except for the you know sexual abuse obviously and the and the multiple wives you know it, in some ways it it feels to me like when the branch davidians like i think the legend of them somehow it was easier in some ways cuz people never got to see them yes. and see how weird that stuff actually was yes whereas with these people i mean we talked about they visually look very very different yes. right yes so to me that would seem like that would be a hurdle you'd have to get over to get public sympathy. It's like, wow, what is up with these people? But mm-hmm. in fact, I think, you know, I think it worked yep. because it's like, this is our religious identity. I think there's a lot of people who really identify with the idea that that's part of, and I guess, you know, it is to a certain extent, it's part of the American ideal. That's right. Because America was founded on people leaving England so they could have religious freedom. I mean, that's what they capitalized on. And the people they had on camera doing it were women, which is fucking incredible. Uh, but Lara, the story of the children is also incredible. These 400 plus children were taken away. And yeah. the sad thing is some of them were never reunited with their parents. They couldn't figure out who their parents were because there were so many women, some of them, to this day, they don't know where they are. They were brought to other families. They imagine, were adopted out. Ima- imagine the mess that 23andMe test is going to be. Yes. Oh, yes. my God. It reminds me of like the Mormon version of when we were seeing like children that were crossing the border with yes. their parents yes. um, being put in cages. Yes. And you would see these pictures of like all these kids in a room on cots and they don't know where their parents are and their parents could be in Mexico. Their parents could be in the U.S. But they victimized the victims, which was not good. And it was hard because I'm watching this and this whole show, I want to say was probably one of the most traumatizing shows I think I've ever watched on Netflix. 
Um, I agree with people who have said how traumatizing it is. It was horrible. And the scenes of these children where initially you think, oh, my gosh, finally, all these dudes in the cowboy hats are going to come in and they're going to help these freaking kids who are like the products of these rapes and these marriages with young children and this just absolute ridiculousness. And, And you see how shocked the authorities are when they come in and they're like, oh my God, we had no idea there was this many children. And you think, finally, somebody is going to do something about this horrible thing. And then you see they are taken to this like windowless like building and stuck on cots. Yep. Like people that are like displaced during a freaking hurricane. Yep. It was horrific. And it was just unfortunate because at the heart of it, the intention of taking these children out of a situation where they are being systematically abused over generations. That's something you want to see happen, but they didn't really plan ahead. So it was it was freaking horrible. But I don't then, think they didn't plan ahead. I think they had no idea of the scope, had, right? I think they had no idea of the scope. Yeah. I think you're right. They had no idea of the but scope. But then they victimized the victims. They did. They did. Yeah. And then it snowballed because anytime children are put in a situation like this, it is now prime opportunity for media sympathy for Warren Jeffs to play the media because now we have these crying children, these scared children, the ladies in the Easter egg dresses, where are my children? Oprah coming in, like Geraldo coming in, all these people coming in. And at the heart of it, they were trying to do the right thing, but what a fucking shit show. Yeah. Yeah. And those children were already torn from their families before they got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I mean, we have a lot of questions like what happened to all the boys? That's one question that we asked. Uh, and that, and there are a few things that I would say if people want to like hear more about some of the questions I had, I, I would actually recommend listening to my interview with the director because she does answer some of those questions. It comes out on Wednesday uh, because I did ask her like, what happened to all the boys? Because like all the girls were married off to these old men. So like what happened to boys when they grew up and had no one to marry? Turns out they were just outcast. Some of them became homeless. Right. Um, they, they show a little bit of that. Excommunicated. Right? Yeah. Yes. They were just thrown out and like thrown away. It's really, really unbelievable. Um, lots of traumatizing stuff happened to a lot of young people here. Kevin, I have one question for you, which is um, when these guys go on the run, like the bad guys, they mm-hmm. like Warren Jeffs. Oh, yeah. Why is the immediate reaction to become totally hedonist? Immediate reaction. You take that money, we're going to Vegas, we're going to strip clubs, we're getting the box seats at the football game, because they they know it's bullshit. Yeah. They know their own bullshit. And also, you know, the lore of the modern world is, yeah, they're creature comforts and Hey, you know, can't are you say that. Are you saying they're hypocrites? Are you, right. saying you're saying they're hypocrites? Well, look, I can't say that, like, you know, America is really always great all the time in every way, but it's a lot better than living, you know, with your hair up in a bun like that and marrying your second cousin when you're 12. I mean, the actual fuck. It's like come into the real world. And even if you, Mr. Prophet, dip your toe in the milk of human kindness that is, you know, the modern world, you might want to stay. You know who you sounded like for a second? Who? You sounded like that brother, the actor who played the brother. Oh. In um, uh, Under the Under Banner, the Banner of, of Heaven. Heaven. Yeah. By the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I'm going to take back part of my review there that I didn't care for Andrew Garfield's performance. By the time he got to the end, it was really good. Yeah. But also the one brother. Dan. Put, Dan. Did you guys notice that he always would talk sort of the same way where he would be like, well, Ron, 
you have to know that Heavenly Father wants us to go and get all of the women that we can. And would it be so bad if we did that? <laughs> Kevin's been, by the way, using that voice all week. Oh, that's oh, great. God. Yeah. It's been really wonderful. But Rebecca, if I could just tell you what Heavenly Father wants for us, then it would be fine for you to do the dishes. It would be so great if I great. could just make the blue apron for us. This evening, yes, this has been my life for the past week. Speaking of which, there is that crazy scene where those girls are doing that little dance and song and dance number. Oh. And then as they're leaving, some guy makes a crack about doing the dishes. Like we walk. How about doing the dishes? <laughs> the documentarians must have been so psyched when they saw that thing and then they heard that little comment in the end. They're like, this fucking sums it up right here. Flynn's Law of Cultiness. Yeah. Yep. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. All right, well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the Netflix series Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey? Should they check out Keep Sweet, (laughs) Pray and Obey? Heavenly Father would like to hear your review. <laughs> Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs I'm... up or thumbs down? Kevin, you just go ahead and ask that question. Right. Laura Bricker, are you a thumbs up <laughs> or a thumbs down? Oh, boy. It's hard. I'm a thumbs up for the documentary and I'm a thumbs down for these fuck fucking fuckity fuckers. So this is one of the more traumatizing documentaries that I have watched, I think, in terms of the horror of the victimization of children we didn't even get into in our discussion, the white throne bed and the tape of Jeff's raping a 12-year-old girl. It is just fucking horrific. There are some scenes where they sort of, I think, go a little too far in like embellishing the horror. Like they make his eyes look like a snake when someone calls him a snake. And I'm like, ah, (laughs) that might be a little much. The only thing for me that makes this somewhat less rage-inducing and nauseating, I have to tell you, I was I was actually like nauseous watching that last part, listening to the tape, was the fact that there is such a spotlight and voice for the women that were victims of this cult and of Warren Jeffs. And the fact that they not only stood up to it while it was happening, when they're like, hey, fucking creepy old guy, I don't want you touching me. To number B, we're going to hop on a plane and the police tell you, and we're going to tell you where the fucking secret documents are. So we have like Rebecca Wall. We have the Jeff's wife who um, I'm going to hire her as a PI who like 
tracks the mileage on her husband's car, drives a circumference around like where he went, uh, looks at the soil, determines where the secret hiding spot is. So there is something of a story of the women that were victimized being able to take a stand. But this is hard watching. We get trigger warnings on a lot of things that we watch. I don't think a trigger warning is going to help if they give it to you before this because it's just really disturbing watching. But I think it's really important that this story is out there. And I hope that some of the people that might be wearing the Easter egg dresses someday see this and find the courage to stand up. And this cult needs to stop. I mean, Toby Ball, we're going to end it. Toby Ball, (laughs) what are you going to do? Are you going to do a thumbs up or are you going to do a thumbs down? Look, I thought this was really good, actually. You know, I'm going to give it a big thumbs up. We didn't talk much about the structure of it during our discussion, but I thought it was put together in a way that the end of it, where you're, you're kind of finding out sort of what, what happens and, and people getting come up and stuff like that, has a lot of sort of emotional resonance and impact because of what's been set up beforehand. I felt like there's almost like sort of a Margaret Atwood-ish kind of aspect to this, yeah. where you have these women who are trying to gain control of lives which have basically been set up to rob them of that control and having to put their trust in people who then betray them. And I, I thought that was just profoundly sad. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's really good. I, I, I feel like it was really well put together. It, it hit on a whole bunch of different levels, sort of emotionally, but then also sort of the justice sort of procedural type stuff. So I I thought this was really well done. I give it a big thumbs up. And brother Kevin, how about you? (laughs) Well, brother Dan, I'm going to go thumbs up. I I think this really dovetails well with Under the Banner of Heaven from Hulu, which we just reviewed and it just finished up recently. Because in the book version, John Krakauer not only covers those two storylines, the Lafferty's and that murder and the history of the Mormons coming to the U.S., The book also covers this, the modern-day Warren Jeffs cult of fundamentalism. So you get all three of those things right there with these two um, shows. Look, it's, it's put together in a very powerful way. I love the way that they brought in many of the women who were affected, and they were great at telling their own stories and making you really feel like, wait a minute, they weren't just Stepford fundamentalist wives, everybody grew up going, yes, well, this is what I would like, that they had like, you know, very normal aspirations, but they were in an oppressive system that still exists. And so it's enraging in that way. Well done. Thumbs up for me. Sister Rebecca, Uh, how about you? So I'm going to agree with what Toby said about the Margaret Atwoodism. So this is the reason why I'm giving this a thumbs up, okay? So when I was watching this, I was acutely aware of the fact that this film was made while actively in American politics, there is discourse that is aiming toward stripping rights from women. There just is. I believe that the FLDS is go- and, and groups like it are going to be more successful if the politics of our country continue the way they are and they're going to be more mainstream and less fringe. 
I wouldn't be surprised if some people watch this and think, what is wrong like with seeing this as a mainstream religion? I think that this is more acceptable and less culty to a large part of America than it was a few years ago, which is why a documentary like this is incredibly important right now. It is Atwood to us. It is America to a large swath of Americans which is why it is essential viewing. And yeah, it's really important. And what's really important about it is the women who are in it telling the story. I really, really enjoyed watching this. It is incredibly triggering. And that is something that people watching it need to know going into it. Laura mentioned it in the latter part of the series. There are some scenes and there is some audio in particular that the filmmakers chose to include that I actually think was a good choice to include. I think it was done in a way that was responsible, but it is triggering and difficult. And that is something that I just want to tell people if they haven't watched this yet to be on the lookout for. That being said, it's a big thumbs up for me for Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. week. I just want to let you guys know this is A super weird one. Okay. (laughs) A court says Geico must pay a Missouri woman $5.2 million to settle a liability claim. The woman sued because the policyholder gave her HPV in his car. The suit claimed the man knowingly passed the STD to her. She believed because the act in question happened in the backseat of his passion wagon that it qualified as an injury under his auto insurance policy. Geico refused to pay and the case went to arbitration where the arbiter found in her favor. The victim had asked for a million bucks, but the arbiter awarded her five times that amount. Geico appealed... But the court agreed the liability clause covers all injuries sustained in the car. Now, listen, we don't know if anyone else will come forward to sue about injuries sustained in this rolling fuck box. But (laughs) we'd warn anyone to not touch the stick shift. So, panel, now that just about everything is covered by auto insurance, what will you file a claim about that happened in your car? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Wow, mine is nothing X-rated or horrific. It actually happened today. Um, Mm. I had my sunroof open. It was a beautiful day. I went in my office and we had a random pop-up pouring rain event and my entire car is soaked. And someone said, oh my God, you better be careful. You could get mold. Yes. I would recommend getting some Febreze, Laura Bricker. Tell you about what about you? Uh, now that we know that everything is covered by auto insurance, including sexually transmitted diseases, what claim are you going to file about your or someone else's car? Uh, I don't actually have any claims to file, but I do think that there's a family of squirrels that I evicted from oh. a former car that was hanging out in my engine that might be interested in this information and will probably sue me to get my insurance money. <laughs> Kevin Flint. Uh, child support. Really? No, uh, it's probably going to be uh, dry cleaning because I'm always eating stuff from the drive-thru and spilling all the bits of, you know, I get like the mayonnaise from the Whopper or a bunch of the cheese from Muffin the, stumps. Uh, yeah, you know, it yeah. gets me Muffin right stumps. in my fat belly. I actually agree that uh, Dunkin' Donuts could sue you. Sue me? For leaving piles of their muffin stumps in the uh, seat wells of their car. 
and thusly denigrating their product by, you know, somehow saying that the stumps are not as good as the tops. I think they have a suit against I you. I think there was already an episode of Seinfeld about that. <laughs> All right. Well, that should probably do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and say, I have a tip for you on how your car will not get mold, how can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at Laura Bricker. Or if a guy says, I've got a tip for you, you know, don't get in his car. (laughs) Gross. Chubby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, I'd love to see you in your Celtics jersey. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm wearing a Sonics jersey, Rebecca. But you also have a Celtics one. You confess that to us before we started taping the show. Uh, you can reach out to me at Toby Ball and H. Not sure if it's going to get you anything, but give it a shot. Kevin Flynn, if folks want to see you in your douchey preppy sweatshirt situation, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On and join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook group. We also have a regular page. Just go there and join our group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get all of our content there. It is rad. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredible Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this show is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we wear prairie dresses and keep our helmet hair fresh in French braids and twists. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. You look like the mean preppy kid in an 80s movie when you wear your shirt like that. Because I've taken my sweatshirt and put it over my shoulders and, and nodded, nodded it, it. Yeah. <laughs> you look like the kid who's about to beat up a nerd I'm gonna tell the kid to meet me at the yacht club later <laughs> do you know who my father wow. is <laughs> are you wearing uh, loafers with no socks oh yeah that'd be perfect man. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.